before we turn to our scripture text this morning, is simply something I want to say how good it is to be here at the Kirk. I have had the most wonderful few days and you have all given me the warmest of welcomes. I'm honoured to be here, glad to have been able to share a number of things over this weekend and now especially to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. As we come to our scripture reading, let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive the word. Plant that word down deep in us, cause it to bear fruit, we pray, so that by your power we might become more and more like Jesus and live more fully to the praise and glory of the Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading is from Luke chapter 15, first verses 1 through 3, and then verses 11 to 32, that very, very familiar parable. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his eldest son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back, safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came back, the one who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where is home for you, I wonder? And what makes home feel like home for you? I suspect that's an interesting question for a lot of us. And we heard something of a response from Tanya this morning, and it's a very strange question for me in many ways as well. Is home Australia, where I was born and brought up? Is it the UK, where my parents are from, and where I lived for over 10 years? Or is home here in the US, where I've been now for over 15 years, although you wouldn't know it from my accent? What does it mean when we say that we feel at home somewhere, or that we don't feel at home? Is home a place like when you're driving back from outer state and you see the pure Michigan sign and you know on the highway you are home? Or is it more about relationships? Or is it all of these things? And what about when you technically are at home, but you wish you could be anywhere else? This is a parable that can get us thinking about questions like that. What makes home home? And what does it feel like to leave home and come back home? And what does it mean to feel far from home, even when we are at home? Jesus is telling this parable to some people who feel very much at home with God. And they're also very sure about who should not be at home with God. The start of our reading, the frame for the parable, describes the scribes and the Pharisees who are grumbling about Jesus because he has this habit of welcoming and eating with tax collectors and sinners. There was often rivalry between the scribes and the Pharisees, but they were united in despising sinners and also in despising Jesus for hanging out with them. If Jesus were a truly godly man, he would not be so at home with sinners, nor they with him. They were probably also united in each seeing themselves as the ones who are most at home with God, the righteous ones, the most truly obedient and faithful ones. And so they assume they are the ones God loves and cares about the most, unlike those sinners. And so Jesus tells some parables. Our parable this morning is actually the third in a sequence. First, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin. And in both of those, Jesus is driving home to the scribes and the Pharisees that God's heart yearns for those who have gone astray like the lost sheep, for them to be brought home, who are like the lost coin and then found. And so in both of the parables that come before this one, Jesus emphasizes the great rejoicing in heaven over the lost one who is found. And then he tells the parable of the prodigal, which is another story about exactly that, and also about what it means to leave home and to come home, to be lost and to be found. 
I think many of us here will know that when the younger son says to his father at the start of the story that he wants his inheritance, he's basically saying to his father, drop dead. The son demanding his inheritance in that way is the equivalent of saying to his father, I wish you were dead and I want to live as if you were. He wants out, he wants to leave home, he wants to live his own kind of life in his own kind of way, and almost as soon as he's received the inheritance, he's gone. The kind of life he was so eager to live, away from his physical home, away from home as a set of relationships, and as we'll see in a moment, away even from the spiritual home of his faith, all of that was a life that I guess he saw as freedom initially, but it ended up leaving him destitute and it all but destroyed him. I don't know you all well enough to know if there are elements of his story in your story or in the stories of those that you dearly love. For at least some of you, though, I expect that this will be the case. And thank God there is all sorts of hope in this parable for every kind of prodigal son and daughter and every kind of parent who loves them and longs for them to return home. For the Jews of Jesus' day, though, this younger son is close to the ultimate sinner, uppercase S, exclamation point. He has smashed the fifth commandment in pieces so far from honouring his father. He despises him and he wishes he were dead and he squanders everything he's been given on wild living. And he's abandoned not just his father and his home but also, it would seem, his faith. He's gone into Gentile country, a country where people keep pigs, which Jews were not permitted to do. And he ends up in the ultimate defilement for any Jew looking after and living with the pigs. For the scribes and the Pharisees, what happened to that younger son would have been exactly what he deserved. I suspect if they had been telling this parable, this is where it would have stopped. See, look what happens to commandment-breaking, faith-abandoning, wicked sinners. They end up destitute and defiled, abandoned by human beings and by God. But this dissolute, destitute, defiled younger son is exactly the kind of person that God's heart yearns after. The previous two parables that Jesus told made that clear enough. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents. And that is what the younger son goes on to do. Sort of. Because it seems like there's a whole load more pragmatism than repentance going on there, to be honest. He realises he would just be better off back home, even if only as a servant. But it's enough. He turns aside from the life he has been living and he sets off for home, even though he expects that it probably won't feel much like home anymore. Not how it used to be. While the younger son is on his way home, let's reflect a little bit on the father to whom he's returning. From the beginning of the parable, the father's behaviour will have struck the scribes and the Pharisees as very strange. When the younger son asks him for his inheritance, the father could, and probably in their minds should, have punished him. He could even have had him killed. The law offered provision for parents to have children who deeply dishonour them put to death. But instead, the father gives the son what he asks for. And I suspect that for many of the religious folks hearing this parable for the first time, the father would have come across as too loving, too weak, too indulgent. 
What we see, in effect, is that in his love for his son, the father is willing not only to give away his money, but to set aside his own honour. He diminishes himself to his son in every way. But he does not cease to love, to yearn, to long for the son to come home, and he does not cease to look out for him. Parents among you, you know how this is, don't you? Lying awake, late into the night, straining to hear the door open and close to know that your teenager has come home safely. Waiting for the next email or text or phone call from your child, no matter how old they are, when you know that they are far from home. And all of that is the case when everything is just fine with your child and with your relationship with your child. How much more so? when the situation is something like that of the father in this parable, where things have gone horribly off the rails. And the instant he sees his son on the road that leads to home, the father runs. And once again, the father's love means he does something totally contrary to the expectations of his culture. Here is an older man hitching up his robe and running full pelt down the road in the sight of anyone who happens to be looking. It's a disgrace, it's dishonouring, it's degrading, and all for that wicked, wastrel, younger son. But love, overpowering everything else, love. And he doesn't even let the son get to the end of his very carefully planned and rehearsed speech. Out comes the best robe, the finest ring, the fatted calf is killed, the music strikes up, there's a feast overflowing with joy, because the one who was dead has come back to life. The one who was lost has been found. And then finally, there's that elder brother, the one who's stayed home all along, stayed in the house with his father, stayed obedient to his father and to his faith and to his calling in life. The one who has always tried to do his duty, to do the right thing in every way and the one who, it turns out, has wandered just as far from home as the younger brother who ran off to his wild and dissolute life. Because in this parable, it turns out that home is not so much a place as it is a relationship. At the heart of what it means to be at home is to truly know and experience the father's love. Does the older son join the party eventually? Is he ever reconciled to his father and his younger brother? Does he ever go home again? We don't know. We can hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring him home too because he needs the Spirit to lead him home to the love of his father as much as ever the younger son did. So who do you most identify with in this parable? The younger son? The rebel, the one who ran away from home, and only when everything went horribly wrong did he reassess his life and head home again. The father, the one who loves and loves and loves in spite of all the hurt and all the shame, and the one who waits and waits and waits and overflows with uncontainable love when the ungrateful wretch comes home again. The older brother, who does all the right things and wants to hoard all the love and all the benefits of home for himself, the one who wants to decide for himself who deserves a place at home and who doesn't, who wants to decide on God's behalf who deserves God's love 
and who doesn't. I suspect that all of us have seen ourselves in all three of them at various times, but I think at this point it's helpful to remind ourselves again of the framework for this parable, because the older brother's attitude here is exactly that of the scribes and the Pharisees at the start, which is exactly the reason why Jesus is telling us these three parables in the first place. Remember, they despise and resent Jesus for welcoming sinners and feasting with them. They see themselves as the righteous ones deserving of God's love far more than those sinners because they have done all the right things, made all the sacrifices to live obedient, faithful lives just like the older son here. And this is why they need to hear over and over again in three parables in a row about the deep rejoicing in heaven over the lost ones who are found and who come home. And this is why many of us need to hear this parable too, I suspect. Jesus is telling this parable to all of us dutiful religious types who no matter how much we say we believe in salvation by grace and how much we need that grace, we still think that somehow we deserve God's love even just a little bit and so we can earn it by what we do. And we can still somehow end up thinking that the love of God is so limited that if he gives away some to someone else, especially someone else we don't think deserves it as much as us, well, won't that mean there's less love from God to go round and left over for me? But folks, this is not how it works. It truly is, as the father in the parable says to the older son, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. We know that all that God has, has is already ours now and for all eternity. Like Paul says in Romans 8.32, our loving Heavenly Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for all of us. How then will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So back to that question I opened with, where is home for you? Part of the point of this parable is to remind us that wherever our lives lead us, whatever our circumstances, to be at home means to be above all, resting in the freely given, overflowing love of God. And we can rest assured that the Father has more than enough love for us and for anyone and everyone else he chooses to welcome home to himself. And so the plea of the parable to every single one of us is, come home. Because whether we are more like the younger brother or the older brother, we all need to return home to the love of God. Whether we've been on a quest to find our ultimate fulfillment anywhere other than the assurance of God's love for us, whether it's the resentment and anger and entitlement of thinking that who we are and what we do means we deserve God's love more than others, both of those parts are utterly exhausting. And both of those paths take us such a long way from home. Come home, rest and rejoice in the Father's love. Thanks be to God. Amen. Mm -hmm. okay.